Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 3D Universe Untethered. I'm Jeremy Simon, and it's a pleasure to be with you again. Uh, this, uh, in this episode, I get to sit down with uh, Jason Enders from uh, RE Suspension. As you, and I'm going to be get, telling you a lot more about him in just a moment as I bring him on screen. But, you know, just to lead us into this, I wanted to say, you know, if those of you who've seen these before, you know that I love to focus on the stories with our our customers and others in the industry where they're being able to do things with this digital fabrication technology, you know, build a business, pursue a passion um, and, and create a new, you know, kind of path forward for themselves using with the help of this technology. And those stories are always wonderful and exciting. I, I will point out that this one is a little bit different because, you know, Jason has built a very successful business uh, company of uh, uh, 17 years. And to be honest, they would probably be doing just great with or without the 3D printing and the laser cutting and all that stuff they're doing. But no doubt it helps them. And so that's kind of the angle that we're going to be focusing on in this one is sort of how they're bringing this more and more into their business and, and how they're seeing advantages from incorporating digital fabrication into an already successful business. And uh, so let me bring Jason on screen uh, here and get started. Welcome, Jason. Glad you could join me. Oh, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Of course. So RE Suspension. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this. And I just want to give our, our watchers and listeners a little bit of a background here. You guys are a full-service suspension company, and uh, I love what you said in one of your videos I saw on your YouTube channel. You said, if it has wheels and you race it, we develop suspension packages for it. I, I <laughs> yep. Right there. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of read the folks a little overview of your background here, and then we'll get into a bit of a discussion. So in 2002, Jason Enders was working as a full-time mechanic for a NASCAR Cup team when he began noticing a true need for a company that could offer advanced suspension technology to racers across the country, regardless of the series of competition. Since its launch, RE Suspension has become an industry leader, headquartered in a 10,000-square-foot building located in the heart of motorsports country, Mooresville, North Carolina. RE Suspension sets the standard with their advanced testing equipment, including two EMA dynamos, uh, dynos, sorry, an advanced spring raider, a 10-horsepower dyno, and a 5-horsepower dyno. RE Suspension has innovative products, full inventory from top vendors, and knowledgeable, talented technicians. As RE Suspension continues to grow, they look to the future of motorsports as their in-house engineering department uses the latest in 3D printing and sophisticated 3D modeling software to design and create their own line of suspension parts and tools. So that's pretty cool stuff. But like I said, Jason, you, I mean, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the history here before we get into the, the digital fabrication stuff, which is, of course, you know, where I want to get to. But... I'd, I'd like our listeners to be able to get a better understanding, as, as I've had the opportunity to, of your background. How you, Let's start with how you got into racing, and then we'll get into the whole story of RE Suspension. So how did you get into racing yourself? Well, I was I, I, unlike a, a, a lot of people, I was had the lucky fortune of being born into the sport. So growing up, uh, I, I was born in Ohio, and my dad raced, uh, was in road racing, and he crew chiefed and worked on uh, several different race teams up there. And in 80, in 1987, uh, the team that dad was crew chiefing for, uh, they decided to go cup racing. So uh, Winston cup, that is NASCAR. So they, they started a NASCAR team uh, in Ohio and ran it for about half a year. And at the end of that season, um, dad sat down with the owner and was like, if, if we're going to do NASCAR, we have to be in Morsel. We got to move down to North Carolina. So dad closed up his business. He had a auto parts store and a auto service store and closed it up and moved the family to North Carolina and, and 
there began my racing career. Uh, growing up, you know, I was <clears throat> I'd, in high school, I'd go to school and soon as school was out, I'd jump in the truck and drive down to the shop and help dad. And that continued through college. Uh, you know, I'd go to classes in the morning and help my dad and in the afternoon. And uh, after college, um, my dad said, if, if you're going to do this for a living, you've got to go work for somebody else. You can't work for your dad your whole life. So I did. And I, I went to uh, a prize work for three or four different teams. And somewhere in the middle there, it was uh, 90, 1999, I think. In 99, I decided that um, I didn't want to be on the road anymore because working for NASCAR and being on the road and I, I was, I was newly married and, and, you know, we were starting to build a family and it's like, this isn't what I want to do. And I was in a point where I, in my soul, I started, I hated racing. Like I've got to get out of the sport. And I did a little soul searching and it's like, wait a minute, Jason, you don't hate racing. You just hate where you're at. I, I was I was in the middle of it and I was tired of being gone and living out of my suitcase. So um so I quit and went to work for uh BSR products, who they were like a, a part store that that serviced all of NASCAR and they had a shock division. And my dad was in between jobs. Uh the team he was crew chief and four closed up and he was in between. So they hired my dad to come and run this little shock division. So at the time I didn't have anything to do either. So I'd go and help dad. And, uh, that turned into that. They hired me and I worked there for a couple of years. Well, again, this company that I was at, they, their sole focus was NASCAR. And while I was working there, I started going to some short track, uh, races, local Saturday night racing, and realize that there's a there's a whole nother market out here that that is totally unserviced. These guys need help, and there's nobody to help them. And I tried to tried to get them to pay attention to it, and they they didn't. So I ended up quitting and got together. I got hooked up with Kurt Rorig, who without Kurt I wouldn't be where I am today. But Kurt he built the machines, the dynos that we test all the shock absorbers with. So I drove up to Kurt's shop and uh, told him my plan. It's like, I want to do this shock service company. I want to house all the major brands and I want to service everything from NASCAR and IndyCar all the way down to your Saturday night dirt track racers. And he agreed. He, he took a chance on a, I, I think I was 20, 28, I was 28 years old at the time and we did it. So, so Kurt helped me get started. He gave me uh, a dyno, one of the testing pieces that I needed. And from the very beginning, this place took off. Uh, we've, we've grown, you know, when I first started, we were in a 1250 square foot little key man space and now we've grown into, like I said, we've got 10,000 square feet and eight employees and, and growing. It's uh, as, as we were talking earlier, it's we're, we're trying to hire more people as we speak. So 
it's just taken off from there and it's it, it gives us it the the position that we're in gives me a really good opportunity to be in racing and not be in racing and it also gives us the opportunity to have our fingers into all forms of motorsports again from from the nascar bunch and indy cars and and road racing all the way down to your you know your local night local saturday night grassroots racer and it's it, it's it's been it's been a fun ride hmm. i bet so then let's let's get into the business a little bit more then you mentioned some of the uh you mentioned the, the, the dyno that you got started with that um uh that kurt helped you with and then you've added additional uh versions of that since then or other types of equipment Tell us about that. Tell us about the different kinds of gear that you guys are using nowadays, and, and then that'll kind of lead us into the, the digital fabrication stuff you're doing now. Sure. So the the testing equipment that we use the the basic the basic premise of, of the the shock dynos is a, it's a crank dyno. So it's a motor that sits inside of a of a of a machine, and it just it it spins and runs an actuator in a sine wave. So as that, as it spins, it's in a yoke and, and it just runs a sine wave. So on the other end of that shock, so we drive one end of the shock with, with the motor and the other ends hooked to a load cell. So the dynos hooked to the computer, we collect all that data and, and turn it into a plot or a graph that, that we can actually see what the shock is doing and how it's performing at all the different velocities. And I saw, if I understood this correctly, I was watching one of your videos, you actually have the ability to take like actual track data, like from an actual drive and bring that yep. into that system to simulate it. Yep. So, so after we started this business, Kurt um, Rorg had, had developed what they call their EMA dyno, EMA, it stands for electromagnetic actuator. And basically this dyno has no constraints. It's not hooked to a motor. It's driven by, by, two magnets mm. and we can input any waveform uh you know whether it's a sine wave or a triangle wave we can run square waves or we can import custom uh profiles that are taken from data acquisition on the race cars we can take potentiometers that they hook to there import that straight into the dyno and run the shock just as it is seen on the race car that's so cool. and it's, it, <laughs> And it, just like 3D printing, you know, it, it, the, the shock market grew in leaps and bounds through the 90s and the early 2000s with the testing equipment. And we were finding things that we didn't even know was happening with the shock. And, and you know, right now it's all kind of leveled out. Like all the stuff that was unknown, we're starting to figure it out now. But, you know, the, the, the late 90s and early 2000s, it was... It, Every, every week you turned around, we were learning something new. We built, oh, geez, this would have been about 10 years ago. We actually built a uh, clear shock. So we, we built a shock absorber out of out of a clear, um, I don't, I, Jeremy, I'm, I'm at a loss for the material that it was, but it was huge. You know, a normal shock absorber is about 46, 47 millimeters in diameter. This shock tube was probably four inches around. Wow. And we, we mounted it upside down in the dyno and uh, took high speed video of the shims and watching how the shims were opening and closing. And we learned that in some cases the shim starts to bounce and we get in the shim flutter and there was all kinds of stuff that we never knew that was going on that now became possible 
because of the equipment that my partner had had developed. Very nice. Very nice. So obviously, you know, this is that it's not all about the equipment. It's also, of course, about the tremendous amount of expertise you have on your team. I, I saw in one of the videos you said you had something like 125 years of, of combined racing experience. Yep. That's pretty impressive. So, yep. so between myself and my dad and um, all the guys that work on the shocks, they all race. They've, mm -hmm. they've all grown up racing, and I've got some ex-crew chiefs you know, guys that used to crew chief and in, in, in the NASCAR series and whatnot. And it just, you know, every time we onboard one of these guys, it just adds to our database of, of, you know, what all the guys bring to the table. Yeah. Nice. So that goes kind of goes back to what I was saying in the intro. I mean, you, you, um, you have this obviously a very successful business that was built with great people, with great technology, great services, the right contacts. You had all the right pieces. You've got a business that is just going wonderfully. But then you hear about, I don't know, 3D printing or laser cutting. Tell us about how you learned about the digital fabrication side of things and how did you start to bring that into the business? And how did that, how is that, you know, how does that help? Let's talk about how that's benefited you. Sure. So, you know, it, it, in fact, I looked before we did this this segment. I I bought my first 3D printer in 2014, and um, at the time I knew 3D printing. I knew that it existed, and I knew it was out there. But in my mind, that was something that was so far beyond the realm of my little business here in Mooresville, North Carolina. And uh, one day I had a customer uh, come in, and we got to talking about it, and and he. Um, he was telling me about MakerBot, actually. He was like, yeah, MakerBot just came out with this new printer. It's a desktop and anybody can do it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, how much is it? And I, Jeremy, you'd probably know better than me. I think at the time it was like, like three grand or $3,200. And it's like, really? So at the time that he was telling me about this, I, we were in the process of making some part i don't remember it, it was it was a new widget for shocks and i had to make two two or three different prototypes and those prototypes from the machine shop were coming back at like eight or nine hundred dollars a piece and so i was sitting out here and my dad was out in the shop and we got to talking about this 3d printer and i i pulled it up online and I'm like, you know, these three prototypes that we just made would have more than paid for this 3D printer. And, and the again, I don't remember what it was, but the part that I needed, I simply needed to hold it and I needed to put it in place and, and see that it was right and the lines were right and all the, you know, basically all, if my drawing was correct. Yeah. And that's all I needed. So we bought one. And what, what about, before we talk about the printer, What when you were using this uh, outside machine shop for prototyping, what was the turnaround time on getting the part done? Oh, it, well, at that time, it probably would have been a week or two weeks to get a prototype. And you get it, and within 10 minutes, I knew whether or not exactly. it was right, whether I had drawn it right or if that part's going to work. I mean, you, you knew immediately, and it was it was almost a no brainer. So, you know, that was the first 
that was the only reason that we bought a 3D printer was to was to shortcut this prototyping stuff because what we were doing at the time was basically a lot of hand tools. Um, again, in our industry that was at the time growing leaps and bounds, there was nobody that that made tools for for the job that we needed to do. So, so we started making hand tools and and the the prototyping was just uh you know like i've got one here that that we prototyped a wrench it's like i just i needed to hold it in my hand and i needed to put it up to the shocks and it's like are all these things in the right i just needed to hold it so you know we got this printer and and we you know played around with it and i i spent a a ridiculous amount of time just playing with the 3d printer and seeing what i could do and what i couldn't do and you know, with me having drawing background in, in, in CAD modeling, the, the sky was the limit, you know. So I, we, I was printing widgets and brackets and holders for your phone. And uh, somewhere in there, you know, it, the, that first printer that we got, we, it, it was not good. We, we had a lot of issues with it. And, and uh, that's actually where I called uh, 3D Universe cause I needed a printer and, and whoever one of your guys up there picked up the phone was awesome. Answered all my questions and I bought it, turned it, plugged it in first print without any adjustments. It worked great. And we're getting these prints off of here. And it's, it dawned on me. It's like, man, for, you know, what you have in a, in a spool of filament, you know, 40 bucks. It's like, I can make a lot of parts out of this and sell yeah. it. You know, and, and it's like but before before we get into actual end yeah. use parts, because that's a whole other story. I want to talk oh, a little yeah. bit more about the prototyping. So you said before eight nine hundred dollars a part when you were outsourcing this, and it would take one to two weeks to get a part back. Yep. The three D printer. How much does it cost you to print a prototype of something like the wrench that you showed us? Would you say a couple dollars? And about how long? What's the what's the turnaround time on printing one of those things? Average print time that I've got here is like six to eight hours for for the size of parts that we normally print like um you know there's some stuff that only takes an hour or two right. um so I mean, some i'm not gonna ask to do this off the top of my head but that's got to be a i don't know that's got to be a huge savings in both time and cost i mean that's, that's um, immensely yeah. and and above and beyond that now that i've got my own prototyping capability and it's like I, we can envision it we can draw it and print it now now it's 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 opened up our the creative side of our business. It's right. like we can we can think it and and spit it out in the printer, and it's like okay, well let's take that and move this and do. Oh, it's it's that's just opened up so many doors. There. Yeah, it's the ease of iteration, the ability to just so quickly and affordably turn through ideas. You don't have to worry if you get it wrong the first time. To me, that's so powerful. I mean. Because it's Absolutely. it's a lot cheaper, sure, but that week downtime, the one to two weeks, that's what gets me. You know, you can't do anything until you get that part back, and then you realize yeah. immediately it's wrong. You just you know you kind of waste it. And it's like, oh, I've got this radius wrong, or or this hole needs to move ten thousandths to the left, and and yeah. it's yeah, it, it's so it, it was it was a complete game changer for us. It's on the manufacturing side of it. Yeah, because there's kind of a momentum to these kind of you know, prototyping and d development issues, right? If you can keep it going, you know, you're going to get a lot more done. Absolutely. It, it's like that, uh, the creative writer's flow. It's like w once you start spitting these out, then more ideas f 
follow it. And, you know, again, as, as long as you have the capability to roughly hack it out in, in your CAD software, it's like, it, it's, it's right there, you know, and I, good ideas lead to more good ideas. Yeah. Right. Okay. So now, so, so it's obviously a powerful tool for prototyping and helping you to iterate more quickly and easily. Um, but then you were just kind of moving into having these ideas for possible actual finished products that you could print. So let's talk about that. And we don't have to limit this discussion of 3D printing either. I mean, we're all about digital fabrication. So I know you got some laser cutters there too, that you're using as part of customizations and stuff. So Let's talk about that. What are you doing with the actual products that you're selling to your customers now? So, well, the, the products that we sell, Jeremy, started out uh, no different than anybody that's ever bought a 3D printer. You start you start looking around the house or looking around the shop and it's like, oh, I could build a, a gadget to hold this or, a, you know, any kind of widget. And so I had started, you know, at, at night I, <laughs> to, to back up and it's not fair because I treat I treat my CAD software like most people treat video games. You know, it's like I, I, that's my pastime. You know, I go home and draw something up. And um, my dad brought home a, a birdhouse the other day for my wife to hang up. And I sat there and I looked at it and it's like, oh, I can model that. And then I, <laughs> I I'm, I'm a strange individual in that. Big birdhouse furniture, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm getting ready to refinish my deck. So, you know, instead of doing math, I just modeled my deck out. And now I know my square footage and love it. Yeah. It so, does, you know, my mom wanted to build out a custom camper vans. So I did the same thing. I modeled it up for her. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Right. It's a way overkill. And, and I'm, I'm fully aware of my issues. So, um, so I, I started building, you know, holders here at the shop and, and, and tools to help and, um, I had built actually, where is it here? I'd actually built for our guys a, uh, a piston tray. So in, in building shocks, I, my guys like to lay out, you know, we build shocks have, or race cars have four shocks. So when my guys build shocks, it's like, I built this little, this little tool to lay out all four shock builds with the piston and whatnot. And I set them on everybody's bench. And, and one day I was just sitting there, it's like, I have no idea on earth why we don't have those on our website. Sure. And, and now we put them on and I've got one printer. I actually turned it off for this show, but I've got one printer that does nothing but run these piston trays. And that's a great example of a, a you know, you got to think about which of these, you know, different parts are really good candidates for 3d printing. And I'm just looking at that when you got a nice flat base, no need for yep. supports. You got a simple dual extrusion print for the two colors. It's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And and there there's nothing hard about it. I mean, yep. it's not hard to draw. It's it's four extrusions, and yep. and you know you, when you start messing with three D printing, you you've got to learn, you know, the weak points and and where where three D printing is strong and where it's weak, and 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 it's all easily fixed. You just have to understand what what you're working with. Exactly. So we started there and then, and, and it just, it, it grew from there, Jeremy, we've um, anything that has a handle. So like in our, in our dinos, we've got, um, I don't have one, but we've got handles with a pin in it where we clamp the shocks into the dyno. Okay. <clears throat> and again, I used to have all these handles machined and then we'd uh, stick the, the pins in the freezer and we'd heat the handles and drive the pins in there and, and make it, and it, it just dawned on me. It's like perfect can anything with a handle is a perfect candidate for 
for 3D printing. And again, it's there's nothing complex about it. It's just it just works and it's cheap. And if you stay ahead of it, you can keep up with the volume. You know, obviously when when a certain product takes off and we've had a few where in, instead of selling, you know, 10 or 20 a week, now you're up to 50 or 100 and it's like, uh, you know, you start weighing whether or not I should buy more 3D printers to keep up with it or let's get this sent to the machine shop and let them handle it. So um, the, it, it definitely has its place for end use products, but as long as the, the volumes, you know, in, in check, it, it's, a, it's a great tool. Great yeah, tool. It's, it's allowing you to kind of ramp up the production on these new products as demand ramps up. So you can start very small, you can build up, and then at a certain point, you can always make the decision to switch over to more traditional manufacturing methods when it gets out right. of the, the realm of what you can do. Yep. That's, that's pretty cool. So so after that went, um, I was probably th three or four years ago. Um, so all the parts that we have manufactured, we we'd have manufactured and they'd come back in and we'd send the parts out. Uh, primarily everything we do here is aluminum. Okay. So we'd get the parts in and then send them back out for anodize and the parts would come back and then we'd send them out again and get uh, lasered with our logo and part number or whatever markings that it needed to have. And just like 3D printing, I was sitting there looking at it at how many, how much money we'd sent sending these parts out to get lasered. And I looked at a couple lasers and honestly likened it very much to 3D printing. It's not complicated. It's it's a very simple machine that works in X, well, X, Y, and Z. And so we we bought one. Well, now I've got to the point where um, a lot of the parts that we make, like these are spring rubbers that um, when we get in, we laser with the part number and we put our logo on it or whatnot. But our, our, yep, our laser has a rotary. So I took off all the hardware that um, the laser company sent with their rotary and installed our own drive. And now we, we make, I've got, oh, 50 or 80 of these jigs like this to do all round parts and it sits there and spins and so oh, the three the white part there is just a jig that you're yep that's you know, just the jig because so so much of the stuff we do is different diameters yeah that so you know we've got we've got so a whole counter full of, of parts like that back there and on top of you know, if it's if it's a part that's hard to hold, we'll 3D print a fixture to set it. You know, so that the laser knows where it is and X yep. and Y, and and it's it's that print, our printers are going pretty much nonstop. That's fantastic. So you've certainly gotten your money's worth out of them. Oh, for sure. You know, it's we went from the first. You know, we bought an Ultimaker two, and turned it into a two plus, and then we bought another two plus. And then I got another one and then took the one that I had here at the shop, the oldest one, and took it home. And then now we've got the, uh, what, what do I have, Jeremy? The 5, 5S. Yeah, looks like the S5 Pro Bundle yeah. behind you there. Yeah. So we got the S5. So I've got, I've got four printers. And like I said, it's, they're, they are running more than they're not. It's, it's it just, it's a great tool. I don't know how anybody that has CAD experience doesn't have one of these yeah it's just bringing even if you don't have cat experience you know with 
with you know what's out on the market now with Thingiverse and 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 the, the, all the models are out there, and you yeah. can just make them and scale them, and it's it's or even learning CAD. I mean, it's not something you need to be scared of these days with Tinkercad and you know absolutely not. Anyone can learn it. Any and it's it's not you just have to think in X Y Z and and right. and get in there and start messing with it, and you know there's there's a lot of the CAD programs out there that that are very affordable, very sure. affordable. You know, it's we here in the racing industry, most of us use SolidWorks or, sure. or, you know, and those programs get to be real expensive, but it's not necessary at all. No. And I, I mentioned Tinkercad, which is a free one. That's good for some people getting started. Um, I use Autodesk Fusion 360, which is a very powerful yep. tool, kind of a, a, a and very affordable. Not only affordable, it's free for personal use, which I use it for my work with Enable for the volunteer yep. community that I'm with. So, yeah, I mean, anybody using it for non-commercial purposes can get a free copy. So it's a great way for people to get started and learn. Yep, for hey, sure. So, and now, we had a little bit of a, a discussion earlier on about a new product that you're kind of working on. Is it okay to talk a little bit about these bump stops that you've been playing around with? Sure. So tell us, what what is a bump stop? What's it used for? So in, in race cars, so, you know, obviously um, in a race car or your street car, springs springs hold the car up. Well, with with the way that the 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 setups and and the the trend of of racing is going today, our our whole object in racing is to try to get the car as low as we can to the ground and hold that platform. So we want the you know we want our the the, dy the dynamic ride height of the race car to to be in as little a window as we can, so we can. Uh, so that we can control all the variables with camber gain and caster and the wedge in the car and whatnot. So what we came up with uh, many years ago is basically put very lightweight springs in the car and let the car come down to the racetrack. And then on the shocks, we catch the car with these bump stops. So we basically, you know, the, as the shock, com the shock absorber compresses, um, we put something like this, um, on the shock absorber and as it comes down and sits on it, that's what holds the car off the racetrack. And it, as simple as a part as, as this seems, it, it, there is so much in how we build up the force and, and how the, how we get to the forces we need to keep that car off the track. Um, you know, the most common right now is we use like a polyurethane stop in different shapes, different heights, different sizes, um, multiple stops, and it's all in creating different force curves to get to the target that we're shooting for. So not that long ago, a customer, customer of mine called in and he wanted us to make some, some solid polyurethane stops for him. And he sent in some bump stops that somebody had 3D printed. And again, I with we use 3D printing every day, but like we were talking earlier, I don't I'm not in the forums and I'm not really aware of what was available and whatnot. So I look at this 3D printed bump stop and I'm like, wow, I never even occurred to me that we could do something like that with 3D printers. So 
I called my buddy at 3D Universe and I was like, hey, um, if I'm going to do this, what do we need? And and you guys hooked me up with a whole bunch of different materials to play with. And and for the last oh, two weeks now, three weeks, we've been playing with different shapes, different sizes, different infills, different infill patterns, density. We've been playing with the number of shells and the overlap into, you know, how much the, the walls are connected to the, to the, uh, to the infill. And we're learning a bunch. We're learning again. It's, it's exciting again, because it's like, it's, we never thought it possible. So right now we're in the middle of, of working out of testing, uh, looking at the durability. Cause obviously, you know, we're, we're printing these layer by layer by layer. And it's a concern that we have that, that, you know, those layers, I want to make sure that they don't shear and that these parts retain their height, that we don't distort them with all the load that we're putting on it. And it, it's really fun right now. It's, you know, it's fascinating to me because I have never run into somebody that's in the position that you're in where, you know, you have the 3D printing as a tool there. And so you can prototype this product but you also have all of that testing equipment. So you can modify a parameter, like you were saying, you can change the infill pattern or the amount, and then you can stick it into your, your you know, dynos and test it and see exactly what that did to it. And that's powerful. Exactly. And it, and it's, it, it really is cool. Um, I mean, I guess we know, don't know yet if this is going to work, if it's going to be a successful product, but you're sure learning a lot as you go. Oh, <laughs> learning a bunch. And the, the, you know, the, I think one of the biggest contenders that we have in, in working in the bump stop is so, um, you know, that where the shock absorbers are mounted in race cars are real close to the brake rotors, okay. which get really hot. And, wow. and that's been something that as far as 3D printing is concerned, I've struggled with over the last couple of years of learning the limits of how hot can we run certain parts and certain materials before they start deforming or giving up and whatnot. And this is going to be another one, you know, it's, um, it, it may be something that we can only do on open wheel cars where the brake temperature doesn't get so hot and it's out in the air and it can maybe, maybe not. So you and I will definitely have a follow up conversation on this because this is, you're following the same path that I think so many people do. You, you first become aware of 3d printing and you get a 3d print and you're amazed at what you can do with it. And at the first, at first you're probably using mostly the basic materials like everyone else, PLA, maybe yeah, some PLA ABS. and ABS. And uh, maybe some tough PLA nowadays, but that's it for most people. And then sometime later, you start to become aware of this world of materials that is constantly expanding, especially yep. with the Ultimakers that you have, because it's an open you know, platform. You can use any materials on the market. And um, yeah, there are, there are some really good, there's some flexible high temp materials that we'll talk about that might be worth exploring. There are so many different, you know, options that... And what I love about this is, you know, like going back to what you were saying about the investment you made in that printer, which was obviously nothing compared to what it's doing for you. But then right. on top of that, you continue to be able to get more and more and more value out of this tool as these new materials come into the market. You don't have to change a thing on your printer. Just right. you know, the materials keep coming out with all these fantastic properties. And so you just keep being able to do more and more and more with this machine. It's wonderful. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. And that, the, the whole key... And God, that's what I love so much right now about 3D printing is that it's it's going way faster than I can keep up with it. 
So just just keeping your finger on top of what's available and and it's exciting. It it really is. You know, even for a very specialized company like what we've got, it's like there's 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 stuff on the horizon that that is is a total game changer. It really is. That's awesome. And I want to talk about that before we get into that. And I, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but I'll just say it now for those watching us live on Facebook. Feel free to go ahead and post comments there right under the live video. We're going to see those here. If you want to ask questions, if you want to share any kind of comments or observations, please feel free to do that in the comments there and, and we'll bring you into the discussion here. So uh, start typing as we, uh, as we talk. So we got a little more to go over here, but I want to, I want to get input from the audience as well. So use the comments sure. for that. So yeah, going forward, let's talk about that a little bit. What what do you? There's so much going on, like you said, with digital fabrication, new tools, new capabilities. What what are some of the things you're thinking about going forward? Anything you got your eye on that you're not doing right now, or that you want to do more of, or anything like that? Um, honestly, Jeremy, what what I've got, what what I'm sitting here anxiously waiting on is metal 3D printing oh, to yeah. come down to a cost where RE suspension can implement that. So, um, you know, obviously with what we do in, in shock absorbers and in the, the parts within the shock three, if we could ever get to the ability where I could 3d print pistons mm -hmm. and start changing the flow characteristics and, and oh man, that's 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 like my my dream. And and I know that it's out there and it's currently being used. It's just not something that that we can play with right well, now. You know what I'm just from a, from that point of view, just to play with it and maybe do some prototyping. You know, we do have this new material from Bass F called Ultrafuse 316L, and you can print it on your Ultimaker right there behind you. And because it's 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 mixed in with you know binders, and so you can print right. it on Ultimaker. You put it in a box and you ship it off to DSH Technologies. They do the debinding and the sintering, and they ship you back a solid steel part. So you can really? do this, yeah, if you want to give it a shot. Now I don't know how that's going to compare to something you know manufactured in other ways, but you can do that now. It's that's one of those fantastic new materials that just came out of the market recently. And, yep. and that's like what we were talking about. I'm, I was not aware. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's exciting. It is. So uh, be, besides that, um, no, we're we're looking at um, in the very near future at adding a uh, another CO two laser, and we're currently um, farming out uh, different quotes from uh, fiber lasers. Okay. So there's there's a handful of uh, things that we do here that um, you know where we're trying to mark stainless steel or titanium and CO2 lasers you know unless unless you want to use surmark or some kind of marking material on top right. of it CO2 lasers won't cut it so yeah. we're looking at expanding there and you know the ultimate goal the 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 end goal what we really want is to bring all our machining in house uh i i would i would really like to do that it's just right now jeremy we are we're so busy and business is so good and racing is taking off the you know despise the the pandemic and covid and all the things going on in our country racing is is out of control right now so we'll you know we're just doing all we can to make sure orders get filled yeah i bet that's awesome and you know you're doing it right you know you you know where you're headed, but you're doing it one step at a time and just adding these tools and increasing capabilities as you go. And I'm sure you'll get there where you can bring all this in house. You're just doing it kind of a piece at a time. That's, that's really smart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So, uh, so you talked a little bit about some lasers you got your eyes on and, and increasing the capabilities there. Um, on the 3D printing side, is it just kind of more of the same? Are you looking to kind of increase capacity a little bit and keep doing more of what you're doing? I am. Um, before the year's over, we'll end up uh, adding another S5. Because, mm -hmm. again, um, you know, when we went from the Ultimaker 2s or the 2 Pluses to the S5, once again, that opened up a whole other world for us. Um, you know, with being able to print with dissolvable support material, uh, dual extruders, um, it, it opened up just that many more possibilities, that many more combinations. Um, here recently, uh, we've, we're working with a, with a company that's um, developing a brake system for, for the karting industry. So we printed uh, vented rotors, again, with a dissolvable support material and um, air scoops. So I, boy, I wish I'd have had a, had a sample of that, which sure. was really awesome. But for the people, you know, we might have some people watching who might not be aware of this. What we're talking about, it's it's usually PVA. That's the material that you're probably working with. But it's a water-soluble support material that you can print. Because some of the more complex geometry you need to print with supports, kind of a scaffolding to hold it up as you're printing it layer by layer. And these soluble supports, when you're done printing, you just drop it in water and the supports just dissolve away, leaving you with this beautiful, clean part, which gives you pretty much complete geometric freedom then. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, again, with the default settings from Kira and, and the Ultimaker, I, I did very little, very little tweaking yeah. with, with what we needed to get a really nice, clean finished part. And again, that was just for, for prototyping uh, purposes, but it, it's like the the prints that came out were just great and that that was one of the first things we did with this printer when we got it and since then now that i know that that we can um you know uh print overhangs without you know supports and the cleanup after you know if you do something like that the cleanup to come and break the supports away and and touch it up was can be very labor intensive so now it's like, you know, you, you print these things and it gets all done. You pop it off the plate and throw it in a, in a thing of warm water and walk away. Come back, you know, four or five hours later and it's your, your part's ready to go. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Well, it's pretty cool stuff. So how would you say overall, you know, how has the, the digital fabrication, the, the 3D printing, the laser cutters, how has all this helped your business? What have been the advantages of that? Again, it, it circles back to what we were talking about before. It, it, it opens, it really helps open our creative mind as to what can be done. And I don't, you know, there's been a dozen or more times where we've been out in the shop and one of my guys will have this, this great idea. It's like, hey, if we do this, like, you know, we could turn this into a part and, and sell it as this combination. That's like, hang on, give me a minute and come back here and draw it. And before the end of the day, it's like, you mean something like this? And we'll, we'll put it on the shock or we've got a, we've got a mock race car in the, in the front of the shop here, go out to the race car and, and hold it in there. Um, we're, we work real closely with, with a handful of, of chassis builders around here. And we're starting to use um, 3d printing for, for mounting dashes, mounting gauges in the car. Um, you know, as we speak, I think for years now, um, we've been uh, 3D printing fender washers um, to hold valences on, helmet hooks, uh, you know, anything that 
you know, if it requires a lot of strength or, or it needs to be tough, it, we, we mill it out of aluminum or steel or something like that. But, but for where 3d printing fits, it, it's again, it's become the, the default go-to for those who have one. And so are you kind of developing for yourself a sort of, I guess what we can call almost like a digital warehouse where you have kind of these different parts that you've designed and you can just kind of Oh, I need another one of these wrenches. I'm going to go grab that model and print one off. And that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, um, honestly, again, if you go back, <laughs> if you go back to I've, the Ultimaker Two Pluses, I've got this one memory card <laughs> that has, this is this is the one you don't erase, you don't do anything. These are these are put it in the machine and hit print and go. And yeah, I, we've got we've got a lot of them. Again, going back to you know helping the guys in the shop with with organization or, or just little widgets to make your everyday life easier. You know, it's, we, we, all the time, the printers are going nonstop. And that's, that's part of what I find so cool about this is I hear this every time when I talk to people like you is that you, you buy the printer because you see a certain opportunity to, you know, to, to benefit your business, but then you start discovering all these other things that you maybe didn't expect. Oh, I can do this and I can make one of these. I, and you just, you find all these additional ways to put it to use. I hear that constantly. Oh, when, when I, so when we got the third printer, I took the, my oldest one here at the shop and I took it home and um, we, I have printed every drawer divider for the kitchen drawers in our house. I have printed uh, hooks and I've printed, there's so many plastic parts at my house. My, my poor wife, I know that she rolls her eyes every time I bring this in. The other day I made a, a holder to hold the coffee filters. We have those triangle coffee filters. Yeah. At home. So I printed a holder to set those there and she's just like, Oh Lord, <laughs> but you can't help it. You know, right. I mean, the, the whole process becomes addicting. I, I hear you. It's the same in my household. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. So it's a, uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where 3d printing is going, but I know where it's come for us. And it, it's, you know, I can only see the future where everybody has one of these, whether you've got modeling capabilities or not, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's just, it, it's, they're, they're great. They are. Wow. I really loved hearing what it's done for you. You've got a great thing going there. I, I, I wish you nothing but the best of success, of course, but uh, it's been really wonderful hearing what you've been able to do and continue to do with, with these digital fabrication technologies. Uh, I just love being able to share this with our, our customers and these stories are really, really, I think are, are empowering, you know, helped inspire people that, you know, I very much. So many people that I've talked to that have, have had this, you know, something of a, of a passion that they've wanted to pursue and, and I, I just love how digital fabrication can be a part of that, of, of helping open up these doors and let you explore these areas that you might not have been able to otherwise. So I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Look forward to hearing more about uh, how things go. I'll certainly be keeping an eye on it. Let's have that follow-up conversation about those materials because I got some good ideas for you on the post. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and like I said, Jeremy, thanks for having me. And, and, uh, and um, I look forward to all the things we can do. Absolutely. For our audience, thanks so much for watching. We got a lot more great 3D Universe Untethered content coming up for you, so check it out as always on our blog, 3duniverse.org. You'll see a little graphic in the upper left corner with a big microphone on it for 3D Universe Untethered. That'll take you to the full listing of what we have going on. So thanks everyone for joining, and thanks again, Jason.
See you all next Thank time. Thanks for having me.